So one of my gifts is uh, I'm a visionary, and uh, that has uh, often led to some uh, bad ideas. Uh, since my mom is here tonight, uh, actually with her uh, best friend from high school, which is uh, pretty cool, I thought I'd share a story from my childhood, which my mother uh, superintended. Um, so again, you know, visionaries, we can have uh, some ideas that seem decent, and then certainly they can go awry. So you guys remember uh, the Flintstone vitamins? You guys remember those when you were, yeah. So being a visionary, I remember uh, looking at the Flintstone vitamin cartridge. Uh, Mom, how old was I? Maybe six-ish, seven, three, okay. Um, I, think, I, think I, I think I was older. Okay. Um, um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I, looked at the, I looked at the Flintstone vitamins um, little cartridge there. And you guys know, like, the, the things taste like candy, you know what I'm saying? I mean, one just isn't quite enough, you know? And, and so I remember thinking to myself, um, listen, if one vitamin is helpful for you, then what would be uh, errant about taking a few extra, okay? And, um, and so my mom was um, doing something else around the corner in the house, uh, leaving me unattended uh, as a young child in the kitchen. Um, I'm just kidding. She was a great mom, still is. And so I proceeded to take, uh, by all estimations of the ER, um, like 17, 18, 19, and up, like an upwards of half a bottle or so of these things. Because I thought, look, you know, if one of these is going to make me strong, then surely just by chugging the whole thing uh, would make me even stronger. And so we had to go to the ER. They had to pump my stomach. Am I telling the story right? And uh, kind of caused me to, you know, you, you guys understand. And uh, so th- then I got a little bit older, and again, you think that as you grow older that your ideas get better. And maybe sometimes that's true, and sometimes it's not. So I got a car in 1992, Pontiac uh, Sunfire. It was blue. Had a white rim tires. You guys, you guys feeling me, right? Uh, it had a, a four-cylinder, but really it felt like a, uh, like a go-kart um, engine. You know what I'm saying? So it could sometimes go over 35, but that was on a good day. And there was this hill in our town called Thrill Hill, appropriately named. And uh, what you would do on Thrill Hill is if you were ever so daring, you would, you would drive really like quick-like down the hill, and there were a couple ramps, and so there was a great chance that you would get some air. Uh, incredibly stupid for anyone to even try this, right? But I was with uh, some seniors. I had just gotten my license, and I was up at the top of Thrill Hill, and they were like, hey, Mark, like, why, don't you, why don't you hit it, man? Let's see what happens. I mean, I'm not thinking at all. I'm not thinking logically. I'm not thinking coherently at all. I just, I'm like, this is a good idea. Let, let's go for it, okay? So I know there's some police officers in the room, and I do apologize, but, but what I did is, I mean, I just floored this little go-kart mobile, okay? And, and in the first, the first ramp, I mean, I'm just, I'm just like thinking there's no way that anything bad could happen, right? And that's what you think in the moment, right? I mean, I hit the first hill, I mean, completely airborne, you know? But for whatever reason, like, that wasn't enough. I, I floored again down, down further, and there was this, like, bridge that was down there. So your room for air is, like, three feet either way, okay? And I hit this thing, fly over this thing. I remember literally seeing sparks come out after because I bottomed out completely, you know? And, I, like, no doubt about it, could have died, okay? But in, in that instance, because of God's grace, walked out kind of like a hero. You know what I'm saying? Because everyone was down at the bottom of the hill. I got out. My car was never the same. I blew a head gasket soon after. Anyway, um, and then since we're doing some construction, uh, many of you guys know this story, but 
in our first, uh, when we first acquired the, the, uh, the former jail here, the building, uh, I, had the, uh, I was given the task and had the idea of picking all the paint colors, and I know some of you guys know this, but not, not every idea goes as planned, you know? I, I picked out a, uh, a brown for the bathrooms, you know? And I thought, like, brown was trendy, you know? Like, that's what I, I read that on HGTV or seen that on, you know, Fixer Upper, which wasn't even a show then. Anyway... And so I, I picked a, what I figured was like a nice, you know, uh, suede brown. And what, turn, what turned out to be, and those of you guys have still seen these bath, bathrooms because they still have the color, it's more of a digestive brown. You know what I'm saying? It's more, it's more, of, a, it's more of a, like, uh, a help brown, if that makes any sense. Um, so listen, if I were to share my bad ideas all night long, uh, we would be here a long time. My guess is that you have one or two as well. Um, We've been learning, uh, I have been learning specifically, and, and many of my uh, brothers and sisters around me, uh, both in unison and as God teaches them, around a very specific topic. Uh, Brandon has just uh, uh, prayed in light of that as, as God has uh, bid us to come and die in following him. And I shared this with you last week, and I want to expound on it in great detail tonight. Um, this question right here. Do I trust in God or an idea? Now, the more and more and more that I study our call in Christ, our joy in Christ to die to ourselves, the more I realize how far away American Christianity is from the calling of Jesus. I cannot say it more plainly or more bluntly. What I see in our culture in America is a whole bunch of people who have made an idea of God in their minds, in their hearts, that's convenient for them, that they can understand, that makes sense for them. And I just want to contend to you right now that ultimately it's a bad idea. We've we've left as a culture the scripture and because enough of us are doing it, adhering to it, creating the idea, we've convinced ourselves that then that's what it means to follow God. And so tonight I want to ask you, as I've been asking myself over and over and over, do I trust an idea of God or do I believe in the person, in the character, in the work, in the God who's living and actually sits on a throne? Are you guys with me? There is a massive difference. My contention, the more and more and more that I read the scripture, is that much of American Christianity is not Christianity at all. Now, I want to sink our teeth into that a little bit, okay? So next slide. Let's sink our teeth into this. Let's build some framework, okay? God as an idea versus God as God. Let's look at this first in times of plenty. I think each of these categories view times of plenty very differently. If God is just an idea for you, a a convenience, a mantelpiece, okay, Then in times of plenty, here's your reality. You're quick to be grateful and quick to take for granted. Why? Because you've been trained to be thankful. Okay? And so God has an idea that there's this leap in your heart of gratitude potentially because, oh, God, he's blessed us so much. Give it minutes. Give it hours. Give it seconds. Right. And pretty soon that gratitude has faded. Why? Because it was centered around an idea of God that isn't the scriptural God at all. 
When God is God, sitting on a throne, real reigning Lord, then in times of plenty, here's what happens. You're brought to worship, celebrating grace, because you know you are undeserving of his provision. And what I've learned and seen in my own struggles, failings, and journey is that the gratitude that comes in a heart desiring to worship does not fade because his throne never changes. In other words, the power that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever is incredible because that means he is forever God. And so in times of plenty, I am brought again to my face in worship because I know I don't deserve anything. Are you guys with me? Okay. The idea, though, says, oh, oh God, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You've been so kind again to bless us with this nourishment at the table. And then 30 seconds, one minute later, literally back into self-indulgence. Isn't it interesting that we can pray prayers of thanks over meals and then indulge and gorge over a meal and find ourselves in the sin of gluttony? Does that not cause anyone a little stirring? Right. Let's keep going. Maybe not. Okay. How about obedience? The concept of following Christ. Well, when God is in an idea, the scripture, commands, and callings are burdensome. I've been studying the story of Stephen again. Um, For those of you that don't know the story, he was... Uh, one of the first Christian martyrs recorded in scripture. He is stoned to death. Uh, Stoning, by way of ancient uh, biblical understanding of stoning, wasn't a great way to go out. What I see in us is a very often feeling sorry for the Stevens of the world. Feeling sorry for them. Uh, We'll look at Peter's calling to stop being a fisherman and to follow Christ, to drop everything and go. And our shoulders kind of sink in. We feel sorry for them. We wouldn't say that, but in our heart we feel that. Do you understand it was Stephen's joy to be stoned? It was his joy to be stoned. It is our joy to be called to make disciples. It's our joy to be called to love the unlovable, to be merciful to those who aren't merciful to us, to be gracious to those who aren't gracious. All of those things are our joy in Christ. And so when God is just an idea, all of those things are burdensome. God, why would you call me to forgive like this, to love like this, to live like this? I don't think so, God. When God is God, look at this, then obedience, you're brought to worship, finding joy in unity with Christ. Suffering like him, obeying the Father like him, being taken to the throne of the Father like him, you find joy in unity with Christ. Like Philippians says, that we may share in the sufferings of Jesus. But again, brought to worship. How about this final category? There's plenty more. In times of hardship. When God is an idea, here's what happens in hardship. We're continually dominated by God isn't. God isn't loving. If a loving God was so loving, then he wouldn't do this. If a loving God had had somehow cared for me, there's no way he would have uh, allowed this. He wouldn't have taken this person from my life. He wouldn't uh, have allowed this relationship to be ended. He he wouldn't have caused uh, or somehow allowed this this kind of pain in my life. And so it's all God isn't. God isn't merciful. God isn't loving. God doesn't care at all. But when God is God, here's what happens in hardship. You are brought to worship, trusting his plan to what? Come on, what? Glorify who? Himself. 
When God is God, we are brought to worship as his submissive servants, and all of that is our joy. Church, are you with me a little bit tonight? Okay? But when God is just an idea, then we've fashioned him and formed him to make ourselves feel better, to be a a piece of convenience. We go to him when it makes sense for us. And so because of that, my contention, the more and more and more that I read, the more that I see there is nothing in the scripture remotely close, even remotely close, to, hey, come to Christ and guess what? Guess what? Fireworks and comfort are yours forever. Consume, 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 Americans. And then guess what? You'll be in glory forever with the Lord Jesus to nominate and exemplify all of your consumption. There's nothing even remotely close to that. But you come and you die. And it's your joy to do so. It's your joy. There's so much more life in death. There's so much more life in forgiving those who don't deserve it because you are one of those. There's so much more joy in extending love to the same person who just spit in your face. And so I want to make this clear before we take one more step tonight. Next slide. If God is an idea, then you are not followers of Christ. I can't be more plain, more bold more simple. If God is just an idea, then I think you'd agree with me, then he's not God at all, is he? Then you've made him up with some Play-Doh. Is it possible that because the vast majority of the culture that we're around has defined Christianity in this way, then all of a sudden, just like little puppets, we're following along instead of all of a sudden rising up? And saying, no, my God is a God. He cannot be defined by man. In fact, as man tries to define him, man can't even get close to how awesome he really is. And so listen, as we take this journey through a very, very popular text in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church who has been dismantled by this very problem. Some young followers, it seems, have come, but, man, they've come skittishly and confusingly. Not really adhering to God as a God, but maybe even potentially as an idea. This is what you and I have to wrestle with. It's what you have to wrestle with tonight. And already you're like, Mark, uh, this doesn't seem so lighthearted. Uh, Mark, where's, where's the jokes, man, you know? Listen, it's our joy to rest in the reality that he sits on a throne. So Father, come now. Through your text, draw us to yourself as God. Stir us to repentance for the ways that we have lessened your grandeur, your awesomeness, your character. Forgive us, God, for the ways that we have cornered you, put you in a box that you can't even fit in or be in. God, forgive us for that. I pray that you would cause this body of believers to rise up, not against a culture, but in unity with you. So align us tonight with your son, Jesus, in your great and holy name. Amen. Amen. So open your Bibles, my friends, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to finish the chapter tonight. 
Uh, we're making our way through 1 Corinthians. I hope you, you're feeling a little bit of the, the pace, a good half century, almost uh, to chapter 11, which feels somewhat miraculous. It means we only have a good half century to go. So let's start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. You're going to notice that the subtitle there is, Do All to the Glory of God. We have a lot to wrestle with tonight. Here we go, verse 23. All things are lawful, he says, but not all things are helpful. This is a precise quote from chapter 6. He's already quoted this exact text. All things are lawful, but not all things, he says, builds up. And in chapter 8, we saw what builds up. Do you guys remember what builds up? What builds up? What What did he say? What? Love. Remember, love builds up. Okay? So he adds this in verse 24 in the understanding of dying to self. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Uh, What Paul has made very, very clear in the last several chapters is that community and the body of Christ has so much value, has so much power in Christ, Uh, But the problem in Corinth is the same problem for us. We desire, next slide, to find ourselves on this, on a little island, right? And it looks kind of nice, doesn't it, right? Some of you have put the picture up, you're like, oh, you know, there was like all kinds of warm fuzzies going on. Oh, oh, to only be on the beach, only to find ourselves there, you know, by ourselves. Imagine it, right? Like you're frolicking through the lilies all by yourself, right? I'll never do that again, I promise, all right? (laughs) So thankful we don't video this yet. Um, But listen, the island mentality is not in Christ at all. Um, What Paul has reminded us and reminds us again is that all things are lawful, but in so many words, not all things are beneficial. We have liberty in Christ, but it doesn't mean that we take advantage of that liberty. Why? Because we're considering the needs of others. We're interested in others. When we die to ourselves, all that we get the joy of doing is living for Christ as we love others. But some of you are still drawn to the island because it looks nice. It, it seems to promise great luscious living. But I'll, I want to remind you of this. Next slide. Here's the island mentality. It says this, I'd rather be alone. I'd rather have no one else to worry about. The island mentality says, I'd rather have total freedom because that's what it seems like the island provides. I don't need relationships or, or friendships. I don't, I don't need to be bound. I don't, I don't need any, any structure of community. I don't need any of that. I'd rather not be a concern of anyone else. Hello, listen, come on. Can I, can I have a minute with you, please? I'm serious. If I have heard one statement in this body more than any other in this mentality, it's that statement right there. Mark, I don't want to be a bother. Mark, I don't want to be a burden. Can we together right now, as a body, as a community, as this church, can we together say, listen, if you believe that, if you feel that way, please hear these words now. It will be anyone in Christ's joy to walk with you in the journey that we're called to after Christ. It's our joy. Let me say it this way. You are stealing the joy that others will have in getting to walk. 
You're robbing the body of Christ the chance to take you to Christ. Are we together? But that's what the island mentality fosters. It says, listen, I don't want to be a burden, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go by myself alone on my own island. That way no one ever has to, has to hear my stuff or hear my junk. Some of you are holding back so much secrecy because you're worried about being a burden to someone else. But our freedom in Christ is to walk with people. In all facets of their life, it is our freedom. So please, please, in all compassion, grace, and love, I know there's all kinds of fears that have been built up that have maybe fostered that kind of island mentality, but please give the body a chance. They will fail, but I pray that what this body embraces is continually taking one another to the person of Christ. The last thing in the island mentality is there's this premise that you don't have to have any authority in your life. If I go to an island, then, like, I'm my boss, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I don't have anyone overseeing me. I, I don't have anyone shepherding me. I can, I can shepherd myself. I, I, can, I can find my own way. The problem of the island mentality is there is so much beautiful text, including some that we're going to get to in a few weeks, that talks about the beauty of the body of Christ. But we feel this way because, next slide, because we think that no one cares anyway, right? I want to encourage you with this. I've encouraged you before. Every time we exaggerate that no one cares, do you understand what we're saying? The island mentality that grips all of us as even the enemy tries to steer us away from community, which... We believe in an exaggeration sense that no one cares. No one cares. No one cares. I've heard people say that as I'm sitting with them, counseling them. You, you understand? Like I'm sitting with someone. They've said, hey, Mark, can we hang out? Yes, let's do it. Let, I, I just have some, some things to share. Their first words out of their mouth sometimes is, Mark, no one cares. I guess I'm no one, right? Be, because I'm pretty sure I'm sitting right here and I'm pretty sure I care. And I'm pretty sure I love you, and I'm pretty sure I want your growth in Christ. Do you guys understand how gripping this mentality is? It was gripping in Corinth. It is gripping now. We don't live for others. We don't die to ourselves. No, we, we go find our own island because no one cares anyway. Everyone will be better off without me. You see the word, the exaggeration, everyone will be better off without me. It won't matter if I fail or succeed. If I'm on the island, listen, I'll, I'll just get to do my own thing. I want to take one step further right now. I know for sure that some of you in this room have had recent suicidal thoughts. You've had thoughts of ending it all. I've had three or four conversations in the last month that have centered around that mentality. And listen, right now, I'm going to pray we're going to stop and I'm going to pray specifically that God will loosen the grip that those thoughts have on some of you and that you will believe again that Jesus offers a way out of yourself, which is exactly what ending it all promises on the opposite side. Listen, you just need to end your life. No, no, no. Jesus already offered a way out of yourself. It's through him. Are you guys with me? That is the message that those who are battling 
with all these self-deprivating thoughts need to hear. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't have to end your life because you get to get out of your life and die to your, your, yourself and your flesh in Christ. So, Father, I pray right now for anyone in this room right now specifically who is battling, struggling, hearing, listening the lies. I pray right now, God, that you would loosen the grip of those suicidal thoughts. That you would help them believe the truth that there are those who care in spite of their pain and past. And that superseding all of that, Father, is, a, is, is you a good father. So even right now as I pray in power, would you please free them from the mentality that can so easily entrap in your name. Amen. Isn't it awesome just to already imagine like people being loose from that right now? Incredible. So he says, look, let no one, uh, next slide there, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. That has been his driving force for the last several chapters, and here has been the context, verse 25, okay? Eat whatever is sold, <laughs> eat whatever is sold in the meat market, okay, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. <laughs> well, uh, I want to I want to make sure we're all on the same page. I know for some of you that are brand new, you're like, what What are we talking about a meat market for, right? And some of you just got really hungry. Who's that, right? Like, who's you know all those same carbohydrate uh, diet people from last week, right? Like the meat market. Let's go. Listen, here's what's happening in Corinth. Just as a reminder, because this is the last time he will address it in Cor in Corinthians. Okay, is there is all of this idol worship that's happening in Corinth? There's a God for everything. And because there's a God for everything, some of the priests of some of the idols sacrifice meat specifically to an idol. And so literally since chapter 8 verse 1, we've been watching Paul address this idol meat and what we're supposed to do with it mentality, okay? So let me just remind you of a few of the texts uh, that he's shown us. Uh, next slide, okay? Uh, chapter 8 verse 9, remember this, right, right when he started this argument. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. What he was saying at that, at that time is, look, if you're partaking in the meat as a stumbling block to others, don't do it, okay? But we also saw this text as he taught in Corinthians on this. Nevertheless, he says in chapter 9, verse 12, we have not made use of this right, this liberty, this freedom, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So what he's been trying to teach uh, the church in Corinth is, listen, do not put anything, including uh, the, the idolatrous meat, in the way or uh, to be an obstacle of the gospel of Christ. A couple more. We saw this as well. Next slide. Uh, to the weak, he said, just a, a couple chapters ago, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become, he says, all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And from this text, we taught biblical contextualization. Okay, had a great journey through that, again, in this same premise of idle meat. And then finally, we saw this uh, here uh, last week, I believe. Next slide. In chapter 10. Therefore, my beloved, remember this from last week, flee from idolatry. So that's been what we've studied, okay? So now let's go back to the text and look what he says again here in verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So he is again freeing them. Just eat. 
Like, like, don't worry about it. Stop being consumed by it. Why? Verse 26, beautiful. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All right, let's, let's stop. You remember the subtitle of the text? Remember what it is? Do all for what? The glory of what? God. And he, he, like his entry point is the meat market. How in the world is he going to go from meat market to the glory of God? Because of verse 26. You see it? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24. You, you guys understand? Let me make one more step with this. Listen. When God is an idea then the earth isn't the Lord's. God is yours. God sits in the palm of your hands. You fashion him, you use him, you, t- you tweak him. You change his message. Listen, you cover his eyes. See? But when God is God, it's this full belief that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is the leader, king, sovereign over all of the galaxy, over all of the earth, over all of my life. And so how Paul can go in Corinth from teaching about a meat market to the glory of God is because of Psalm 24, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The beauty of this text is that somehow if we submit to that truth, to that reality, it has profound implications. So then he adds this to verse uh, 27. This this one is super interesting, and I want to walk through this with you. Look at this in verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, and you are disposed to go, or feel like you should go, or can go, eat whatever is set before you, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, this is awesome. In other words, when you walk into the home of a non-believer that has invited you for dinner, and I pray that that's happened in your life. When you've built a relationship, and the non-believer says, hey, come on, come on over for dinner. Shame on any facet of Christianity that walks in the home of the non-believer and hears the music and it's vulgar and says, turn it off. And sees the pictures on the wall and says, hey, you, you should probably take those down. And then gets a meal put before them and say, well, this isn't good enough. Did you know I'm your neighbor? Where's the prime rib? Could you understand how a non-believer would take that? Hold on a second. I invited you into my home. You tell me to turn my music off. You tell me to change my pictures. You actually rearranged the furniture because you believe if the couch was pointed this way, it would point you to the heavens somehow. And you're like, well, Mark, we wouldn't do that. Really now. And I say we. Aren't we doing that, friends? Aren't we doing that? Are we communicating the message of Jesus or, hey, you better cover up those pictures, non-believer. Hey, listen, you need to stop listening to that vulgar music, non-believer. You guys understand? We are, in our culture, trying to shift 
behavior before we tell and bring people to the person of Christ. Why would anyone turn off music or change a vulgar picture outside of pure morality or some sort of ethical forum without the person of Christ? That's what Paul's saying. If you're invited into the home of a non-believer and they give you meat, eat it. Eat it, okay? Uh, In a much lighter sense, when we go to Ecuador, that's one of the principles, okay? When you get offered food, you drink it, you eat it, okay? So just a funny story on this. Uh, How many of you guys have been to Ecuador? Okay, we've taken like 150 of you, okay? So good, about 70 of you have stayed in the church. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) There's this drink in Ecuador, and some of you guys know this. It's called chicha, okay? Uh, So how many here who are here have drank chicha before? And it's really more like eating it. I'll explain here in a second. What, what chicha is, is, uh, um, Lord, I, I'm like, I start cringing because I've had it uh, a few times. And what chicha is, is they, they take, um, do the Ecuadorians, they take these seeds, okay? And what they do is they put them in their mouth and they begin to chew on them, okay? So they kind of like, you know, rub them around in their teeth and, you know, in their, in their uh, you know, in their, their teeth cavity, their tooth, whatever. They, they're, they're like chewing them, okay? And then what happens is they spit them out. Okay, those little seeds. And they add some uh, seasoning as well and, and uh, you know, some different kinds of drinks. What ends up happening is it becomes like a chewed up oatmeal seed drink, okay? And so on this last trip, uh, Steve, our missionary partner in Ecuador, and I were walking up to Pastor Dario's house, who's the church planter in Santana. And we're walking up to his house, and um, unbeknownst to me, Steve can see that they're getting ready to offer me chicha, Okay. And so what he does as a joke is he kind of like hightails out of there, right? And so I'm like walking up, you know, like just excited to be there, you know. Hey, what's going on? And then all of a sudden I see this massive basin, you know. And they're like, Pastor, you know. And I'm like, okay, you know. And you, like to deny it at this point would be insanely rude, you know. So I'm like, I have all of this. All of these things going on in my mind. And I look up, you know, and it's kind of, it kind of looks like goobers, you know, and right? But listen, it would be incredibly rude of me to deny this. My, my daughter Avery's going to Ecuador with us, right? And I've, I've tried to like help her on this. Listen, if you're offered something like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to roll it, babe, and it's going to be awesome. And she's just like, dad, can I bring Lunchables? You know, I was like that. Um. <laughs> and then I told her, I actually bring Lunchables, Avery. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Listen, you understand the principle? He says, look, if a non-believer invites you in, eat it. Eat it. Eat it. You don't need to come in and fix the non-believer's morality when they've been hospitable to you. You guys understand? You have an amazing chance, yes, even in the chaos of it all, to embrace the opportunity to love. And honestly, I just pray you've had that chance. I just pray the, the, the non-believing neighbor of yours, the non-believing coworker of yours, has said, hey, what are, you, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I pray you have done everything to clear everything out of your schedule. Oh, tomorrow night? Oh, we, we, don't, we don't have anything going on. Or the next night, or the next night, or the, like, you say when, and we'll be there. It's beautiful, okay? Now, he adds some, uh, some extra teaching on this, okay? Here in verse uh, 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. 
he clarifies in verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Let me explain this. I know it's kind of wordy. We're not sure who this someone is that has offered the person meat. We don't know if they're a non-believer like the previous example. We don't know if they're a weak believer like Corinth has seen and Paul's written about. But what we do know is they understand that the meat was offered to an idol. And so in their conscience, the meat then is, is potentially errant or even maybe we could take a step and say sinful. So because they have addressed the sin issue of it, then when they share that with us, we're not going to take advantage of our liberty to eat it. Instead, we're going to consider the needs of others and say, okay, like I, I'd actually, I'm actually not going to partake in that, okay? They're aware that the meat is in air, and so we have a chance then to make a stand. Does that make sense? Beautiful text, okay? For I do not mean, again, verse 29, your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? In other words, I've given thanks for the meal. So I'm not going to abuse my liberty. I'm also not going to take my liberty loosely. Instead, I desire to walk in step with the Spirit of God as I deal with all of these handlings. My guess is, you haven't walked through all that text. Next slide, before this verse came up. My guess is you didn't study the meat market in Corinth before you got here, right? My guess is like one day you were flipping through the scriptures or you saw on someone's you know, email forward. And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And man, we have, we have made this a banner verse. We, like this has emboldened us in times. I mean, I mean this, is, this is like one of our gems, right, church? Like, man, we love this guy. Some of you guys have this tatted on you. Any, any tats in the room with this on it? Any bicep, you know? No, okay, all right. There will be tomorrow, I guarantee you, right? I just felt inspired by the Lord, right? Now listen, listen. I've spent a lot, a lot of time preaching and teaching this verse in particular throughout the years. But I have never come to the place where I feel like I understand more about what Paul is writing than now. Next slide. Here's, here's why. If God is an idea and you come to a passage like this, then your only possible response is, well, I'm supposed to glorify God. Well, I'm supposed to give God glory in all things. Well, I guess I'm to learn how to say, praise God in all situations. I guess if I'm called to give God glory in all things, even if he's just an idea for me, I guess I'm just supposed to learn the language, right? Oh, God, I give you glory. 
Listen, the most common Christian phrases are wrapped up in some variation of this. Thanks be to God. Praise be to God. God, we give you the glory. And yet, when it's coming from people who God is just an idea of, do you understand how exhausting it is because of this next reason? Next slide, look at this. It is so incredibly exhausting because if God is is merely an idea to you, then your praise and thanksgiving is empty. Let me say it this way. I can sing some of the songs that we sing here on repeat for 38 hours straight and not mean one word of it. You know my heart. I long to shepherd us. I care for you. I love you. I desire so much your growth in Christ. Long for it. But can I just ask you right now, how much of what you say when you sing about the greatness of God, when you say things like praise God, when you give God thanks, how much of that is actually what you mean or something that you've just learned to say because God is just an idea? Oh, I've learned the right terminology, but in my heart, all of those lyrics are lyrics. I'm not bending the knee to God. I'm bending the knee to a system to a system that has done a great job at showing me how to live and how to speak and what to look like when we sing. But do you understand, when you come to passages like 1 Corinthians 10.31, give God glory in all things, whatever you do, if God is just an idea, your entire existence will be filled with empty words coming from an empty heart that is fueling actions that are futile. And I care for you so much. Why? Because it's a whole bunch of time where you've believed a convoluted message that isn't the gospel at all. It's what America and potentially you have created the gospel to be. That's a good word right there. I like that. I like that, right? But listen, when all of a sudden we come to a different understanding, everything changes. Next slide. Maybe you remember this passage. It's one of those like that you see on it, like every track ever, you know, and it's rightfully so. Billy Graham has quoted this verse. I did the stats earlier like 1,735,000 times, you know. Rightfully so. For all have sinned and fallen short of the what? Of the glory of God. Have you ever seen that part of it? When we enter this world, we are born into sin, separated from God, and therefore, listen, falling short of the glory of God. Now, for many of us, we find ourselves still there tonight, hiding behind language. We've learned the right things to say, but the knee has never bent to the God of the universe. It's just bent to a cultural ideal of what Christianity might be. But I believe there's another way. 
You guys ready for this? Check this out. Next slide. My boy Piper. And I say my boy loosely there. He doesn't actually know me. Um, but somehow we're, we're all in the body of Christ, so therefore we're anyway. Look at this. You glorify God's beauty and excellence by loving it and delighting in it. You glorify God's power by trusting him with all the hard and threatening things in your life. Come on. You glorify God's bounty and generosity and kindness and grace by overflowing with gratitude. And you glorify God's wisdom by obeying his counsel. And none of those things will happen if God is an idea. Because all of those things won't lead you to worship. They will lead you to language. They will lead you to formation, to being some sort of a puppet. Listen, do you understand just for a second the reality of when people submit to God? Listen, let me give you a little example, okay? If all of a sudden, this would be crazy, this would be crazy. But if all of a sudden, okay, God just like walked up on up in here right now, right? Like right now, boom. And maybe in an epic fashion like the ceiling opened, okay? And like, you know, like it sounded like a helicopter, but it wasn't. It was just the Lord, you know, and listen. If all of a sudden he happened in here, and because we all saw it, like it was clear, like this, this that wasn't a stunt, you know, like that, this is clearly God, and like his radiance was. Can I ask you this? What do you think you would do? Like, do you guys think that you'd like walk up to him and like give him a bro hug? Hey, what's up, God? It's been, man. You're so good, you know? You guys think you would, like, go up and, like, you know, brush his hair back a little bit, you know? What I imagine happening in this room is there will be some who will turn and run. They will run in shame and fear and regret. The Scripture says in the last day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so if it is the last day, then that would be the response. But I believe what would happen for the believers in the room is we, in awe of who our God is, would fall on our face in the reality of his character. And you know what? It would be our joy to do so. So can I ask you this then? What's so different about right now? Mark, I can't see him. Just because you can't see him, is he any less real? One of my favorite quotes ever from Billy Graham speaking of is, you can't see the wind, you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind, but you still believe in the wind. You guys understand what I'm saying? The glory of God and getting wrapped up in the glory of God is getting wrapped up in who God is. And then in all things, we are worshiping him in trial, in joy, in hardship, in difficulty, in provision. And then we're not even having to think about 1 Corinthians 10.31. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Because we have already embraced that reality. Why? Because he's God. Do all things for his glory. Are you kidding me? There's no other option. He's God. He sits on a real throne. He hasn't called me to a system. He's called me to himself. And he's bid me come and die. And that's my joy to do so. Are you guys with me? Then in wisdom, we glorify him. Then in provision, we worship him. And then in hardship, we worship him. And then we are most satisfied in him. And that is when, as Piper, many of you guys know, says we are, he is most glorified. Like, that's what happens. 
We're stirred up by the character of God. But what's happening right is when God's just an idea, then we come to passages like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and we force it. Oh, no, I got to give God glory. Well, how am I going to give God glory in this? I, 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 I don't know. I guess, I guess if I just say, thanks be to God, praise be to God, then, then maybe that will hide the fact that in my heart I don't desire to submit to him as God. I'm just saying right now, there is no scripture remotely close in the New Testament and the Old Testament that paints a different kind of picture of following Christ. Are you guys with me? That's why in all of my study of these things, I have nothing else to say except what, is, what culture is portraying is not Christianity, is not following Christ. But tonight we can all be freed from that. Freed from it. So he ends this text here. As he closes the chapter on the meat idolatry, he reminds us of his heart. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. There'll be a stumbling block in any of those facets. Just as I try to please everyone and everything that I do, he's saying it in another way of saying, be all things to all people. He says, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, look at this, that they may be what? Save. I believe, seriously, please hear me. I believe that tonight will be a day of salvation for many people in this room. I texted, I texted the guys earlier. And I was like, guys, I am serious. There are going to be people that tonight realize that they have been worshiping an idea all of their life and not God. And I said, imagine the freedom. Not the condemnation. Imagine the freedom that will happen. When those people realize they have completely turned their backs to the Lord, somehow claiming that they worship Him as God, but nothing communicates that. But tonight they can walk in freedom. But tonight, all of a sudden, they come to the truth and the reality that God has just been a formidable figure in their life and not the God of the universe who sits on a throne who's going to send his son to come back and take his church home. Are you guys with me, right? Listen, some of you right now, you are like your heart. You're realizing it because there's so much shame coming up right now and there's, there's so much lack of joy. And so because of that, I just, I want to bring you back um, to Christmas. That's right, I said it, Christmas. You guys ready for this? Next slide. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. And I'll guarantee you this, those were not empty praises. It wasn't mere language. It wasn't just a thought. It was this being wrapped in the fullness of the character of God and the coming of the Messiah on the earth in flesh and blood. Glory to God in the highest. What I find really, really interesting is that's what the angels said as Jesus comes in flesh and blood as a babe. But you know what's really, really interesting to me? When you start reading Revelation, things get really, really peculiar. 
Somehow that when he enters the world in flesh and blood, in glory, that somehow this is the end as he returns in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great what? Come on, come on, come on. Of a multitude. Like the roar of many waters. And like the sound of mighty peals, pails of, of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And then look at this. Look at this. Next slide. Let us rejoice and exalt and what? Give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. He's coming back for the bride. And that's us, the church. And the church will be wearing white. Why? Because we've been purified by Christ. And it will be only those who God was their God. And not just their idea. That find themselves with the great multitude crying out, Glory to God in the highest. I think what some of you have realized tonight is you have been completely worshiping an idea and have lived the last weeks, months, years, maybe your lifetime with empty, fruitless praises. But what if? What if right now for some of you, you truly understood and believed that God could take all of the ways that you've blasphemed his name by lessening his character and even that God, after being spat in on in the face, could say, you know what? Grace is yours. Grace is yours. Mercy is yours. Come to me now. You don't have to spend one more day worshiping an idea. I'm going to show you that I'm God. And then you'll praise me in the hardships. You won't have to think about 1 Corinthians 10, 31 because you'll just be engulfed in my glory, dying to yourself, embracing the joy that comes from within. I believe that right now some of you will call on the name of Christ for the first time, finally waking up to the reality of your years of slumber. It's been proven by years and years and years of disobedience and lack of repentance and lack of joy. Let's stand together. Come on. Can't, I can't make this happen. I can't cause this to happen. I can't. But I'm longing for people to be saved. At the end of Paul's whole journey in, in Corinth and even here after several chapters with the teaching, he comes back to this great desire. I just want to see people be saved. Because they can be saved. And so listen, tonight, I believe that that's some of you. You're tired and weary. Years of learning language, feeling like a Christian puppet. Tonight you can be freed from all of that in Christ.
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that as we sing, the lyrics all of a sudden become the cries of our heart and not words on a screen. And for some of you, it'll be the first time that you've ever believed what we've sang. And again, you'll find yourself crying out like God is God and he's alive and not some idea. And the worshipers will find themselves worshiping in spirit and in truth, not prompted by some a humanistic prompting, but prompted by the truth of God. So I'm going to pray for that to be so. And I'm going to pray that God would open your mouth, not with empty praises tonight, but by crying out about who he is. So Father, save right now. Though we have fallen short of the glory of who you are, I pray God that there would be those right now that would come to you and confess to you and believe that because of your sacrifice and death on a cross and resurrection that they can experience freedom from a system from regulations God please free them and save them tonight and I'm pleading God that the church will find herself even tonight made ready for the return of Christ with praises on her lips with condemnation gone with hearts submitting to you as God. Please, God, make it that the rocks won't cry out on our behalf tonight. Let's worship.